All right, yes, hello, and welcome to Pop Culture 5. I'm Thomas Senna. With me, as always, is the Lenny Bruce to my Steve Martin, because, I don't know, which, which one do you think you're more so, like, Lenny Bruce or Steve Martin? Who's, um, who curses more, me or you? I don't know about, like, daily life. I feel like on the, the podcast, I think I'm more of a cursor, just Maybe? from, like, the other shows. Like, I curse more. So I think on the show, I think I curse more. Okay. So you're the Lenny Bruce. I'll stick with that. Yeah. You're yeah. the Lenny Bruce to my Steve Martin. <laughs> I'm Lenny Bruce, on, not off stage. Okay. Off stage, I'm more Steve. Okay. I'm not a wild guy like Lenny was, so. Yeah. But, I used to be like Lenny, but yeah. not maybe not to that extreme, but. <laughs> yeah. 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 I All got right. you. Yeah, my man, Jeremy, how are you? I'm doing great, man. It's uh, It's always fun doing this with you, and. This is something that is very near and dear to my heart and very, like, just special. And it's not a niche topic, but it's, like, niche with me because it's one of those things that, like, growing up, I didn't have a lot of people who really loved this. Mm -hmm. So when I did, it was like, oh, yeah, like, I found, like, a, a brother or sister who loves this and has the passion that I do. So this, I'm just glad we're doing it. Yeah, this is a good one. So I recently finished reading comedy book by jesse david fox and i was inspired to want to talk about stand-up comedy it's an art form that i greatly admire i know you do too and i do think it's an art form absolutely yeah i refer to stand-up as an art form i don't say that lightly one of the greatest art forms yeah oh one of the greatest yeah and i've been watching stand-up specials probably since before my earliest memories i should probably shouldn't have been watching i think i've referenced in previous episodes like i'm pretty sure i was a little kid I don't know, seven, eight years old, who happened upon uh, an Eddie Murphy comedy special that I probably shouldn't have been watching. Right, right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of the benefits of having older siblings is you get to have those things that, like, you know, they can sneak in or you can watch, mm-hmm. you know, you can sneak and watch them watching it. Uh, stuff that you probably shouldn't watch at that age, but, like, you had that one up on, like, your peers where, like, they haven't seen it, but it's like, oh, I've seen exactly. this. And stand-up is a big one. Exactly. Yeah. Siblings, cousins. I got to a certain age and I would watch with my mom and even like not family friendly ones. It's kind of funny. Like some, some of them I remember, yeah. I remember, I know like I, I, my mom and I share some stand up specials and, and bits that we like that are, that are not like fan, totally family friendly, but my mom's a cool lady. So mm-hmm. look at that. <laughs> yeah. See, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So, so you, so you're influenced by maybe like a your brother as far as stand up goes? Well, uh I'll be so no, he was just uh, he was an outlet to watch some mm-hmm. things that I wouldn't have been able to. I think for our generation, um having Comedy Central, you know, get created and then like it develop. So a lot of times when I was home from school in the summertime and before I was that age of like getting a summer job, you know, you have summer chores and then you're like waiting for friends to go play, but you're watching TV. It was sports center in the morning until about 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And then from there it went to comedy central and it was premium blends or uh, the previous night, like the daily show reruns or old SNL clips. So being able to watch like Comedy Central and see that network really kind of come up in the 90s, that really like informed me. And like we've mentioned many times before, 
stand-up was really the same way you looked at sports where, oh, I see this young comedian. Who's this young? This like Dave Chappelle or Dave Attell. Like, oh, no one knows about them. And then when they kind of started blowing up, you're like, oh, I knew them back. I saw them here. And you took pride in being like, I saw them before they got famous. So stand-up really had that. And just learning about the different forms, the different art forms of it, and then the different kind of comedy where you may like a really blue style and then someone likes more observational someone likes dark someone is more clean like it's just so fascinating for me yeah there's something for everybody absolutely mm-hmm. i think we'll get into that today i think with my choices or the 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 ones that i narrowed it down to it's pretty wide array i would say of styles and stuff like that and the comedy central you're right Jeremy. that that was Huge, and I remember when I was a kid, the comedy boom of the late '80s and early '90s, where they would show like Evening at the Improv, Carolines. I always I watched comedy sets with like that brick wall in the background. I know I've seen a lot of comedians with that brick wall in the background right. uh, on TV for sure. I used to watch the Spanish Channel, Que Locos. Mm-hmm. There was like stuff like that. Gabriel Iglesias. You're talking about one of the people who you watched an up and coming comedian kind of you know get their start and work their way up gabriel iglesias was that way for me i used to see him on that on that show que locos i knew Love who Gabe. gabriel iglesias was and i was so happy for him there's not there's few comedians or few famous people in general who i'm more happy for their success than gabriel iglesias with the whole fluffy stuff Absolutely. and whatnot yeah he's such a good guy it was cool to see his start on que Absolutely. locos Who's that guy for you? I was wondering, is there anybody who kind of stands out for you like that? Yeah, well, honestly, uh, Chappelle. Yeah. I'll be honest, like he was like that. A Philly connection, but Kevin Hart, seeing him doing local. A lot of the, it's really weird, but the tough crowd, like guys who mm-hmm. now are big names, you know, but a that Bill was Colin Burr, Quinn's show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim Norton and Quinn and Rich Voss and, you know, the late uh, Patrice O'Neill, late Greg Giraldo. Like even those who have passed away, but a lot of people who now you see them on popular podcasts or on different stuff like that, seeing them back in the late nineties, early two thousands, even before Tough Crowd, which is mm-hmm. why I watched it. So that was really cool to see. Like, oh, I was watching these guys, listening to them on like Opie and Anthony. Right. And then, I was gonna. I mentioned. I thought right away Opie and Anthony. Yeah. And in the mid early to mid two thousands, I listened to. I worked for a station that aired Opie and Anthony. Oh. Okay. And I'd actually do like cut ins. During Opie and Anthony and before Opie, so I was I was kind of like part of that broadcast. So yeah, um, that's interesting that you mentioned Opie and Anthony because that was like a big that stable of comedians. Yeah, for sure. I think that was, in my opinion, that was their way because obviously Howard Stern was king of radio, and we're both radio fans, and a lot of like talk radio would bring on comedians, and I felt that was their way of trying to like. Obviously, you weren't going to compete and get the numbers that Howard Stern got, but to make some headway, I felt like they leaned on those comics from the Comedy Cellar who you would see on Tough Crowd. They had them coming on and giving you really great radio content that I still crack up to to this day. Um, That was a big thing. So there's like so many people, honestly, who you just saw and then you watch them rise. It's insane. It's fun how that happens. We had talked about Patrice O'Neill in our Radiohead episode, mm-hmm. and I that's how I knew about Patrice O'Neill was because of Opie and Anthony. Bill Burr is another one, too, when he started kind of coming up. 
Uh, he had a famous thing. You're from Philadelphia, so you might, oh, so you might not love this, but Bill no, Burr I've, had the I've, famous. I loved it. You, did you love that? Yeah, Bill Burr I had saw that when it famous. Happened. You you saw it? Oh yeah. You were there. I was there, my friend. How, okay, you got to set that scene. So uh, I want to set the scene for the listeners. Yeah. So Bill Burr, they were doing. Well, you're probably better. You can set the scene. You were. Oh there, no. Well, right? it was. Um, I forget the name of the tour. It was, but like, it had like a title, like tough, like the tough. I forget the name of it. I think uh, like Opie and Anthony might have been running it. Yeah. But they would have different comedians, like they were touring around. It was like a, these, like these tough comedians, you know, not physically, but like they were like kind of like that hardcore comics going up there. But mm-hmm. one of them beforehand, it was Dom Irera. And if those who don't know who Dom Irera is, he's a comics comic. He's a legend within the industry. Been doing it for a lot of years. Um, so he's not the most famous on. I mean, if you saw his face, you might be like, "Oh, that guy." But really well known, really, really great comic, and he's Philly based. And you know, um, being a Philadelphia, a lot of times once you start booing, you just like you don't like something. Everyone just boos because it's almost like second language. And then no matter what that person is doing, people are just fixated on booing. So the Philly crowd was really tough. And Don Marrera is from Philly. They booed him off the stage. And Bill Burr followed that. And he was mad that they booed Don Marrera. Right. He was mad that they were just booing everybody. So he kind of went out and he did try to like start his set. But then it was kept booing. And then he flipped it on the crowd and kind of said every, you could say stereotype, but also some things that I've, as being from Philly, are true. So get anti, he went on an anti-Philadelphia tirade. Pretty much. And, and said things that being from Philly, a lot of people I know would say, like, how is it? The one that I made me fall in love being there was, you know, Joe Frazier was a real-life heavyweight <laughs> yeah. champion from Philadelphia. And we don't have a statue of him, but we have one of Rocky Balboa, <laughs> who is a fake champion. Yep. Rocky is your hero. The whole pride of your city is built around a fucking guy who doesn't even exist. You got fucking Joe Frazier is from there, but he's black, so you can't fucking deal with him. So you make a fucking statue for some three-foot fucking Italian, you stupid Philly cheesy. And so many black people in Philly would always say that. So mm-hmm. when he said that, I go, you damn straight. Like it was Bill Burn, it was one of those moments. He endeared himself to so many people just by saying that. Yeah. And wow. he turned the crowd. Yeah, yeah, no, he did. By the end of it, by the end of it, and wasn't he doing like some countdown? He's like, I have oh, he, two he, more minutes. I have what? two more effing minutes. I don't know if we curse, but he was saying five oh. more effing minutes. We're gonna put <laughs> an explicit label on this episode, yeah, probably because of the clips that we'll play. I'm yeah. sure, and what we'll talk about this episode. So, so yeah, yeah, no, he was like counting down. He's like, I'm gonna use every last second of this. Yeah, so I heard the the clips on Opie and Anthony, that Bill Burr clip um, in Philadelphia, still. Uh, still on YouTube to this day. So you always tell me that I have like brushed with superstars and um, I go to this these famous things. But you were at this like comedy event that I remember that I knew about uh, like back in 2006 or whenever it happened. You were there. So you have something on me this episode, Darren. I guess. Yeah, I'm surprised. Um, You know, it's really funny because like I like I said, kind of. And that's why I love like doing podcasts and doing it with you like. You didn't really, outside of like some current sports, a lot of the things I'm passionate about that you hear on this show, not until like the past 10 years, I found a lot of other people who liked it. But growing up, it was just me. So even like with stand-up, 
I have family members who love stand-up, but they love, like, the big names. So, like, oh, if Bill Cosby, if Jerry Sign, like, big, famous. But they weren't following it like me. So I got I wasn't even driving yet. I just went and got a ticket, and, like, my dad dropped me off. And so it was one of those things, like, I didn't really share it with anybody because I didn't, I didn't know anyone else who had, like, the passion like I did until mm-hmm. much later. So I kind of forget about it, so, which is the same on me. But I kind of don't – you just go so long with not finding people, like, it's like, oh, you got to see this Bill Burr clip. Like, what? Who is he? <laughs> now everyone would be like, yeah. But at the time, yeah. no one really knew him. Yeah. So it was like, all right, you just weren't there. And I, I was lucky enough to uh, to have friends who were really big into stand-up. Like my buddy Scott Hartwig, he and I quoted a lot of stand-up material. Uh, my buddy Joe Gonzalez, uh, he and I really share a love of comedy to this day. Uh, so I was lucky to have like uh, uh, some friends who really like loved the art of stand-up and yeah, we talk I, about it. Yeah, I had one friend, Jim Moore, but we were so – which is fascinating, but – so different in our styles and what we liked that there were always like these heated arguments, not like bad, but like passionate because he was like, Lewis black is the best. And I'm like, Lewis black, get out of here, man. And yeah. I'm like, what? Do you-? And he hated the tough crowd guys. And I yeah. loved them. Yeah. So we would talk about it, but it was always debates. Like who's better? Like, you know? Yeah. I wanted to ask you toward the end. I mean, it's a little teaser. Uh, toward the end, it's something in relating to the the tough crowd guys and how comedy tastes have evolved or something. So just kind of yeah. keep that nugget in your sure. head and think about like how your comedy tastes have evolved and sharpened because it's something that's been fat. It's been on my mind as a comedy fan for for a while now. Yeah. So just uh, I, I like to sometimes I like to ask a a burning question or something. So, no, I love it. Uh, so so that's gonna be mine. One of my just quick questions before we get into this: Have you ever tried stand up, Jeremy? Yes. You have okay. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. What was that like? That was nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. Um, I went by myself. Uh, the train from Philly to New York is hour and something. I took the train up, went up to one of the New York comedy clubs, and knew that they had an open mic. This is about ten years ago. Oh wow! And yeah. it was like this open night, and I went up and it was a five minute set. I be honest, I got like three minutes and then kind of just like, all right, thanks. And I didn't get yeah. like heckled. I got a few laughs. I, I, you know, people don't realize just like I compare it to boxing, right? Like you watch a boxing match, it's like three minute rounds. That's not that long. It's like when you're in there, that's a long time to keep oh, your yeah. stamina up. So when people hear five minutes, you're like five minutes to keep a crowd Those going. Five minutes last a long exactly. time. Exactly. Exactly. So I had a few jokes uh-huh. and then I had a few like self-deprecating things that are in the repertoire that I like kind of threw out, but uh, kind of just like, all right, thank you. And then um, it's one of those times where stand up comedy was always one of like those dream, like in your imagination, at least for me, like if I could do that, it's like play pro sports, broadcast pro sports, be an animator and do stand up. Those like my Mount Rushmore, right? Yeah. And then when I did it, I go, I don't think I love it enough to like keep grinding and do like I don't have that patience with it. I love it as a fan. Mm-hmm. So it was a good lesson to be like, A, it gave me more respect to comedians that I already I already had so much, but I got even more. But then I'm like, do I want to keep coming back here and like yeah. bombing and working it like <laughs> I don't know if I bomb, have cause, that. Because comedians will tell you you're gonna suck for mm-hmm. a while when you after you start. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And I'm like, <laughs> do I and keep developing material? If you get to that level, exactly. You, you got to get to that. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. Did you ever try it? I did once. Um, so when I worked in radio, uh, I had this, my mentor in radio is a gentleman by the name of Jose Ponce. He was, he's a, um, engineer by trade and uh at the radio station but he was also he also did some stand-up comedy and he knew that a few of us were into stand-up comedy we would always talk about it so he told us he's like because we used to have a comedy club named laughs in albuquerque okay and he said we can rent out if we invite people if you get people to come we can rent out the space for a couple hours and you guys you guys can do go up and do like five and we were like i don't hmm should we should we so we talked about it and then uh, it was me, my, my the aforementioned Joe Gonzalez, uh, Sk- this guy Skip, and our friend Will. So there's four of us, and Jose was the was the MC. So he, mm-hmm. you know, and we was like, okay, let's do it, let's do it. So five minutes, Jeremy. It took me. I worked on that five minutes for like three or four months. <laughs> yeah, I I remember just sitting there writing, thinking of premises, trying to work out wording, and I, I to my credit, the little I think I I don't know I I th- probably sucked. I got a few laughs, but I'm sure it sucked. But I, I was just proud because I I uh, didn't really stumble. I think I memori- I memorized my my okay. uh, my routine and everything. And um, I, I again, I'm sure it, I'm sure it sucked. And I don't really even remember. I don't know if you remember any of your material, but I don't don't know that I totally remembered my material. Uh, to right now, I don't know if I could remember it, but I know I did Not five smoothly. Not smoothly, yeah. You yeah. can, yeah. It, but it, uh, it was. I know it was nerve wracking. Um, I got through it. Um, I have. I developed more of a respect for comedians who especially can do an hour mm-hmm. specials, especially somebody like uh, who people who like recycle or no, not not recycle the opposite. People who develop new material every year, a yeah. new hour every year. Mm-hmm. That's that's tough. So uh, I'm glad I did it, and I realized I'm a fan. But it's not something that I necessarily want to do. And I think all of us felt the same way. Everybody right. who did it that night was like, okay, that was cool for just to say you did it. But, you know, I'm not going to try to make this a thing or anything. So much respect to anybody who tries to do this uh, for a living, you know. Absolutely, man. And I think that's it. Like, now we have so many documentaries and podcasts and even more books to hear about the art form and the grind of it. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure you were like me, where before the podcast boom and all that – it was diving into all kind of books and just reading about it, uh, reading people's autobiographies or their biographies, um, watching any little docs. I, I would go scouring to find, like, oh, Jerry Seinfeld, comedian. Let me go see that. Like, it was all this kind of stuff and just really deep diving, going to the library and, like, getting people's albums and just really studying the craft. So I'm, I'm like, I feel like a little like proud in that. And like before, like now it's all there hearing about it. Yeah. There's a million comedian podcasts and a million docs. I'm like, I was before I was about when you had to like really go search for it, you know, like now it's right there. Yeah, it's right there. Exactly. So we're both certified comedy nerds, stand up comedy nerds. If you hadn't guessed, of course, again, we're talking about five essential stand up comedy specials. So since I'm the host this week, I have three choices. Deremy will have two choices, but he does get a veto uh, if he chooses to use it. Of course, <laughs> that's quite quite the possibility. I do have some stuff in the chamber <laughs> ready to go uh, <laughs> if I get vetoed. So, Deremy, are you ready for this? Absolutely, my friend. 
and this is going to be like a chess, kind of like a game of chess for me, because I'm, I'm, I'm going to start with something and see where you go, see where I want to go. So this is what I like about this format of the, you know, the, the five essential format. Yeah. It's sometimes it turns into a little chess match between me and Jeremy. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It can be tough. <laughs> yeah. So the, so the first uh, stand-up special that I want to talk about is from, it's a little more recent, uh, I, I love specials dating back to the 60s comedy albums even before that, but uh, I'm going to go to 2018. Maybe my favorite current comedian, um, it's going to be John Mulaney's Kid Gorgeous. The world's run by robots, and we spend most of our day telling them that we're not a robot just to log on and look at our own stuff <laughs> all day long. May I see my stuff, please? I smell a robot. Prove, prove, prove. Prove to me you're not a robot. Look at these curvy letters. Much curvier than most letters, wouldn't you say? No robot could ever read these. You look mortal, if ye be. You look, and then you type what you think you see. Is it an E, or is it a three? That's up to ye. He did this one in Radio City Music Hall. He has actually a funny opening about him, like, why me? Like, I'm the, the, the uh, what do you say? The, uh, the architect of Radio City Music Hall must be pissed that somebody like me is playing. Right. And so he started off there. But he's, he's just, the way Mulaney words things, he's so clever it's almost like when i listen to him do stand-up he's so great at replicating everything that i love about having a funny conversation with a friend yeah he's conversational but it's also very precise and very clever and he brings up points like the good comedians to me bring up point a lot of points that i had never thought of and could word them in a funny interesting way and even things that like I know, like deep down, like I understand that, like I can relate, but I never knew that I can, I couldn't pinpoint the language of observing this thing until this person said it. Mm-hmm. And I think Mulaney is really good, really good at that. So uh, first of all, Jeremy, like, have you seen this one? What's yes. your? Do you like Mulaney? I like John Mulaney. I think he's he's someone you know, you know, just like I do. Being he was a really hell of a writer on SNL, yeah. very good writer. And to your point, I agree with everything you said about him. I, I look at it like you could tell he has a writing background when he does his stand-up. Yep. And his he's a wordsmith and it's like it's like almost like a musical when he's giving his performance doing stand-up. It's like it just flows really well. And like you can kind of tell like everyone a lot of people write their own material, but you can tell he was a writer like outside of that and wrote for other people. I'm curious, though, because a lot of people would talk with John Mulaney with New Kid in Town. Yeah, New Kid in Town, which was earlier than this, but mm-hmm. I think it was 2012. Yep, yep. So it was six years before this. I think I like to, I don't necessarily think that a comedian's first good special or great special, I mean, that's probably an essential one, too. But I like this because it has maybe my favorite, one of my favorite comedy bits of the last 20 years, probably is in this special, one of my favorite premises. And that's what I think. Like I, it, When I think about good specials, usually I want to be able to like hone in, like, what's that 
what's that hook? What's that one bit that's just like, I can't get out of my mind. And Kid Gorgeous has probably a couple of them, but one in particular that I just cannot have, haven't been able to shake for the last five years. I've shown people this bit. And Jeremy, it's the, um, when he compares Trump being president to there being a horse loose in a hospital. This guy being the president, it's like there's a horse loose in a hospital. It's like there's a horse loose in a hospital. I think eventually everything's gonna be okay, but I have no idea what's gonna happen next. And neither do any of you, and neither do your parents, because there's a horse loose in the hospital. It's never happened before. No one knows what the horse is gonna do next, least of all the horse. He's never been in a hospital before. He's as confused as you are. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's so that's funny. that. Yeah. So that's the bit that I show people. I show my like, mom. You got to see this. I show my my wife, my stepson. Like this is the the bit that I show people, where it's just like this is so funny, such a funny analogy, so clever. Mulaney's not a political comedian, but this is his way right. <laughs> of basically sharing his political opinion and beliefs in like a really funny analogy, really funny wordplay. So the horse in the hospital bit is the one that I latch onto with me. It's like this to me, this is like I think this is that that's John Mulaney's best bit. You I don't know if you remember that horse in the I hospital. I do remember one. it. Yeah. I guess the question for me, because I'm really thinking this is a right out the gate. This is a I'm not gonna lie to you, it's a borderline. Okay. It's borderline. Why would you call this essential? Cause it's to me it's a master comedian at near the peak and i he's still great right now i loved his baby jay his latest special was awesome but i think i can see the the maturity and the confidence with which he set speaks and delivers his material to me is elevated a little bit from like new kid in town or his earlier stuff okay so i look at kid gorgeous is like for me as a mulaney fan this is john mulaney kind of putting it all together in a way as far as like how confident he is on stage i can kind of tell his writing is super sharp here i love the uh again the horse in a hospital bit he has he has one um where he's talking about school assemblies <laughs> and he's like and then he said that they had to call a second assembly to lecture the kids for their behavior at the first assembly sit down i want to talk about what happened yesterday you're like eight years old. You're like, what's yesterday? <laughs> we invite a woman here with homemade puppets to teach you about bullying through skits. And you laugh at this woman? We noticed you had all been bullying each other and making fun of everything constantly. So we invite a woman with straight gray hair in a denim dress with a wrist cast and homemade puppets that all have the same voice to teach you about bullying through skits. And yeah, ha, 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 laugh it up. The way he words that, the way he creates that mental image is something that he had always done before, but this whole special is him just saying such evocative language. I think as a Mulaney fan, I could see, I see like the growth right here. Okay, I won't. I won't veto. I okay. won't veto um, because, and I'll tell you real quick why is because I think 
he is one of the best comedians of today, like for sure. And I think it's interesting to show someone, especially when comedy. Now, if you look at history, comedy's always people have always come through and tried to cancel comedy in their own way. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't a new thing because you're hearing it now. They're trying to cancel it. It's not really new if you really pay attention. But I think you need a variety of styles. And one thing about it is, I like John Mulaney. A lot of people I know love him, and he's come to Philly, and people went, like friends of mine, to go see him, and his relatability to that every man, a lot of times, and they'll say it, I'm not Irish Catholic, but they're like, he has that Irish Catholic, you can kind of feel like he connects with me, and I think that's one thing I love about comedy, is just something for all different backgrounds, whether, you know, religion, race, uh, gender, uh, socioeconomic like you can connect and like get that variety and i think john mulaney is that good like you he connects with a lot of people yeah yeah and he's you so, know so great at that when i love when he talks about his family and his stand-up sets like he even opens this one where he's talking he's visiting his mom and his dad and there's you know this conversation's kind of run dry and he's kind of thinking of something to talk about never seen a ghost by the way i asked my mom if she'd ever seen a ghost that's where we're at conversation wise in our relationship as a mother and son because i'm 35 and i don't have any children to talk about and she doesn't understand my career so i was home for christmas and we were just eating triscuits in silence and i was staring at the floor and i was like well here goes nothing you ever seen a ghost and my mom said yes which is the best answer. So just the way, like, I can even envision myself just sitting there with my family, my parents, and I look at my mom like, you ever seen a ghost? Just, like, add the blue mm-hmm. and having this whole conversation. And so he's just very, very relatable. I like the pacing of Kid Gorgeous. It has some of my favorite bits. He has one about proving to robots. We spend all our time proving to robots that we aren't robots. Right. And he crafts that so so wonderfully, he talks about Mick Jagger at SNL and how. Yes. Yeah. So th- that that that's from this one. So it's just like, I, Kid Gorgeous out of the Mulaney specials is the one that I'm most likely to go back to. Uh, I've watched Baby J a couple times, and I love him talking about his intervention and getting real personal with his mm-hmm. addiction and everything. But like, it, but I mean, we're gonna probably talk about comedians who have more than one essential. I think. So possibly, possibly, yeah. 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 So, uh, so John Mulaney, Kid Gorgeous, Danny. Okay, that makes it. Choice. So I'm moving my pawn a little out right there. I don't play chess, so I don't even know if I'm using the right. Oh, I'm I'm a chess player. Okay, yeah, you move your pawn out. I I have the horse. (laughs) I have the horse, and I'm going diagonal. So I think that's the knight. Your move, my man. Yeah. I haven't played chess in a <laughs> while, but I called? know the horse can move in the L form. Okay. Um, we can't move diagonally. No, no. The other, that's knight or bishop. I'm missing them up. That moves diagonal. Horse is an L. Okay. I got that. I remember that. I went to chess camp, actually. <laughs> chess camp. For a week. So. I learned a lot about you. Yes, that is right, man. That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, um, yeah. You're, what's your first pick? So we got John Mulaney, Kid Gorgeous. Where are we going from there? So I'm I'm somebody who, on purpose, like... You know, we have favorites and whatever we're passionate about, like all of us, right? But stand-up is really one of the ones that, from the jump, I wanted to hear the variety. I wanted every, to hear everything and still do. Even if, like, you're not my – your style isn't my 
my favorite style. I still want to see you because, like, I want to pick that apart and learn from it and grab things. Like, and that was one of the few, like, passions that it was from, like, the jump. Like, I want it all, right? So this was really a tough one in a good way, but tough because I'm like, there's so many different styles. But I think what helped me, Thomas, is a couple things. It was, like, something that really it hit with every, like, when this came out, this special happened, everybody was talking about it. And also, no matter what, if you become a famous sitcom star or movie guy, this stand-up special is still like people talk about you or remember it when it comes to your legacy. It's not like forgotten about like, oh, yeah, he did that, but we're talking about the TV show. So I'm going to go back to something that still gets talked about to this day, in my opinion. And I remember even 20 years ago, people knew it. I'm going to go back to 2000. Dave Chappelle killing them softly. They got a character on there named Oscar. They treat this guy like shit the entire show. They judge him right in his face. Oscar, you are so mean. Isn't it, kids? Yeah, Oscar. You're a grouch. It's like, bitch, I live in a fucking trash can. I'm the poorest motherfucker on Sesame Street. Nobody's helping me. Then you wonder why your kids grow up and step over homeless people. Get it together, Grouch. Get a job, Grouch. This was very quotable. This is something that, yeah, my buddy Scott and I yeah. watch this one all the time and yeah, quoted the hell out of it. Killing so, them softly. Yeah. Killing them softly. So for me, I say that because he was somebody, I remember seeing him on little HBO or like little Comedy Central. He had half baked before it, funny in the nutty professor. And I'm like, this guy, this Chappelle dude's funny. And I knew who he was. And when this came out, I'm like, oh, that's Dave. He's the guy I'm telling you about. And then it was something where everybody could connect with him. And I think if you want to start and see the blueprint for the guy who, in my opinion, is the comedian of the generation, he's the top comic. He's making his case for being on Mount Rushmore of stand-ups and can only go higher. This is where you this is exhibit A. This is the blueprint. Because if you love Chappelle's show, if you love whatever, you see all that forming and killing them softly. So from his way he looks at race relations mm-hmm. and talking about, you know, being with Chip, you know, his <laughs> white buddy and how favorites. Chip, you know, and how Chip was talking, you know, hey, we're lost. And then he's like, but we're smoking weed. And he's like, I'm going to go, there's, oh, there's a cop there. He's like, oh, shoot. He goes, I'm going to ask him for directions. I said, Chip, no. Chip, don't do it. It was too late. He was walking over there. This man was high as shit. Excuse me. Excuse me, sir. Touching him and shit. Excuse me. <laughs> Need some information. Uh, start confessing things you shouldn't confess. I'm a little high. <laughs> All I want to know, which way is Third Street? The cop was like, hey, take it easy. You're on Third Street. <laughs> you better be careful. Go ahead, move it. Move it. Or, you know, even like the 911 call, like he's like, you know, could they also record those things? He's like, oh, hello, 911, please come. And, oh, I done shit myself. Yeah. He goes, imagine that. Yes. And all your buddies at your funeral being like, did you hear Dave on that call? 
he went out like a little bitch. Like it's just <laughs> yeah. like just classic, yeah. classic things, man. And yeah. growing up, it always made me laugh when like you were in. I would I'll be real interacting with like white people, and then they bring up some like struggle. Like, well, slavery, you must know about that there. I go, how the hell do I know about Why slavery? Would I? Yeah. You're like, I don't know about that. Like, yeah. and then it was almost like, oh, or like, you know, going to like the inner city and then like with like some white people who don't know it. And then they're like, well, you're going to navigate it. I go, if something goes down, I'm running. Like, why do you think I'm a protector or something like that? So it was kind of like he did that in a way where he related like he made the struggle of being black in America relatable to a lot of people where we feel these things too. We don't like it. Just him like talking about like seeing the baby late at night. Yes. And the baby, the baby didn't even look scared. He was just standing there. I mean, it made me sad. It made me sad really good. You know what I mean? Cause I wanted to help the baby. <laughs> Well, I don't trust you either. I'm sorry. Click. <laughs> Click. The old baby on the corner trick, eh? I'm not going to fall for that shit. It's like a lot of people, I've seen that. Where it's like, hey, why baby, are these kids go out? home. Right. <laughs> right. But people act like, it's like, yeah, maybe but, yeah. some people have seen it more and they're not shook in certain ways, but they still feel it. They still are like, oh, that's messed up. And I think... That's what I loved about what he did, and that's what he's known for, but you see the blueprint there. And I think, like, seeing him go on Inside the Actor's Studio years later and James Lipton talking about this special and breaking down these jokes on a deeper level and be seeing Chappelle going like, yeah, you got it, you get it, was, like, the ultimate for me. And so many people I knew, I knew it's called Killing Them Softly, but they were like, oh, favorite special – Dave Chappelle when he's wearing that blue shirt and I'm like, that's killing him softly. Yeah, and they know the jokes. Like yeah. this one to me is it was the blueprint for one of the great comics of all time. Yeah, this one's great. There's I talked about things that have stayed rattling in my brain and with Mulaney, it was like the horse loose in the hospital. Mm-hmm. With with this Chappelle one, there's been a couple of things that have rattled in my brain for the last twenty three years. Yeah. And we get at a red light. We stop at a red light. And a car pulls up next to us, and I'll never forget it. Chippy looks at me, he's all drunk, and she's like, Dave, I'm going to race him. <laughs> I knew it was a bad idea, but I was high. I tried to explain to him it was a bad idea, but all that came out was, well, nigga, sometimes you got to race. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and so that my friends always said sometimes you got to race and then it turned into sometimes you got to do whatever like mm-hmm. i say i tell my my uh my buddy eric i'm like oh i'm gonna go play basketball tonight he's like i don't know sometimes you got to play basketball so we <laughs> always just like turn that into a sometimes you got to do something because of that dave Chappelle bit so so yeah so that that was great and then the other one was was the the baby one too yeah is is uh just him setting that scene and how he was like in the limo and mm-hmm. i think he caught himself too this man i've been playing a lot of these com- but when he was talking about how he uh he rolled up the window and he's like i had one of those old school old-fashioned limos where you could still roll it up i think he maybe caught himself right. like like kind of with logical fallacy or something like that just like but dave can like catch it or dave that that's that's really like dave can 
seemed like he could break out of like his script or whatever and go off the cuff even for a few seconds to kind of make it more conversational. He's the ultimate. I mean, maybe people might be shocked, right? Of like, how can you? Like, there's a comparison, but John Mulaney, which you gave, and Dave Chappelle. I think the one thing I can think of is what you just said. They both have it to where they have like such an ease of like conversational. And I remember hearing someone say this, like the ultimate compliment in knowing that you're good or great at what your your job or your career or what you're doing is if you make it look easy to other people. But they're like, oh, I can do that. And in their own mm-hmm. ways, and I'm not saying Mulaney, in my opinion, is on Chappelle's level, but if I can connect them, they both make it look like I can do that. And like we both know like that's so hard to do. You can't. But Chappelle talks with such an ease it's such a like fluidity. Like when you hear like not in this special, he didn't do it, but like he went on stage for five hours and just kept talking. Like it's like yeah, that's so hard. I mean, we do podcasts and it's like you know five hour pod like, that can be hard. You know that's really hard. And we're recorded. It's not in front of a group of people, but it's like oh yeah, Chappelle makes it seem like yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you can just get up there and talk. We know it's not like that, but he just has such an ease with it. He's like the ultimate like wordsmith like for, for this generation. The ultimate like Mark Twain. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. What what other are there any other bits from from Killing Him Softly that like, yeah, I love the. The Sesame Street, just him talking mm-hmm. about that and like the late. I kind of think like, that didn't that turn into kind of like a Chappelle show thing. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think it did. Mm-hmm. I think it did. Um, and him talking about like they label and then Oscar the Grouch, like, yeah. all that whole bit with him talking about Oscar and Why all those things. Why are you things. such a grouch? Yeah, mm. it, it's just um, he just nailed. And for me, one of the bucket list things is getting. I got to see and this is twenty thirteen. Uh, Dave Chappelle live doing stand up yeah. and. It was such a bucket list because even at that point he had he was coming back, everything was Chappelle show, and it was like this is the top comedian to me of the last thirty to forty years. I think he's number one in my opinion, yeah. and I'm like I get to see him live, and I love to see it more. But at least one time I got to see it, it was so cool. And for me, that's that's the effect he's had on me, and I think that's what this special shows and starts with. It's like. This guy just has it, and he's a special one. Yeah, absolutely. I was able to see him, my buddy Joe and I. I think it was 2014 or 2015, something like that. We saw Dave Chappelle in Santa Fe. There was an unfortunate incident that night in Santa Fe with a crowd member and Dave Chappelle, mm. um, but I saw I the show before that. So oh, okay. that wasn't at the show I was at. Okay. Uh, it was the, He did two, two shows that night, and, and Joe and I saw the first one, and then the second one is, is – uh, what unfortunately happened in Santa Fe, um, dumbass people in the crowd, you know, yeah, trying to ruin a good show. But I was yeah. really happy that I was able to see him uh, as well, man. So this is, yeah, this is a great one. So we got John Mulaney, Kid Gorgeous. We have Dave Chappelle killing him softly. Now I believe it's my turn. Yes, sir. For our third pick, my second one, and I'm gonna say ninety nine point. Four percent that Jeremy is not going to veto this. That's my prediction. So Uh-oh. feel confident in this. Um, it's going to be. It's a master who many people consider the greatest of all time. So it would be hard for me to do an episode of stand-up comedy without talking about somebody who many people. I, I might. I don't know. Like I usually kind of have this discussion and do my list, but I haven't really sat down and thought about like my greatest of all time for stand-up. 
but he'd definitely be on the short list. And it's Richard Pryor, and it's live on the Sunset Strip from 1982. Mm. No, but I do a lot of shit now that I never did. When I didn't have money, I didn't have the problems that I have now, like watching motherfuckers count it. Must drive my accountant crazy because I wake up at three in the morning and go, hey man, what the fuck? How much is it? <laughs> well, prove it. Bring it over. <laughs> but it's three in the morning. Fuck that. I want to see it now. Completely classic. It's uh, I love when comedians show talk about something. Show vulnerability, like talk about something that was that that happened in their life that was almost traumatic or just like that was a serious thing that happened. And I love when they open up on stage and they're able to treat it with a certain amount. Uh, he treated, you know, he uh, he was freebasing and he mm-hmm. lit himself on fire. And then this is the first special that he did afterward after that. And he addressed it and he made it funny. He made it kind of relatable. He made it just like compelling, and I respect him for taking something, some ex- a terrible experience like that, and flipping it and using it as motivation and, and inspiration for material. Mm-hmm. And I, I respect Richard for doing that, and just, he has such had such confidence on stage, too. Richard did, and I think live on the Sunset Strip is just like it, it's cla- it's a classic, and it just. It it shows everything that I and many people loved about Richard Pryor, Jeremy. What do you think of this choice? Uh, I think it, it's a great choice. Um, I think for me, someone who's definitely studied this, like he's the greatest stand-up comic of all time. When it comes just to stand-up, he's number one. I look at it like there's certain things you can look at in life, like, you know, before color TV, after color TV. You know, it's like you can have a demarcation with something, you know, the sitcom before All in the Family and then after that. Like, I think with stand-up comedy, you can look at before Richard Pryor, after Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. And influencing so many comedians, not just black comics, white comics, male, female. That vulnerability is what you said. That's the key word. You didn't see that with comic. Lenny Bruce was trying, but it, it wasn't quite there. And he kind of didn't have that peak or didn't last long enough, Sally, to keep going with it. He's influential, but he's not the GOAT because what you saw with Richard and for him to be able to talk about those things and to go on stage and do that, you know, with Live on the Sunset Strip, he actually, it wound up being a combo of two performances because he went up there before, the night before, and he kind of froze up. He kind of struggled, and he's like, I'm sorry, I can't do this. Like, I got to come back. So what you really see is that second night, he kind of regroups and comes back and winds up just giving you these classic bits, these great lines. You know, I think about him with the uh, the mafia guys and the yes. Italians. And, yeah. you know, that's one of my favorite lines, like favorite bits for anybody. Like one of those ones when YouTube was first coming out, we were like sharing that bit. Yeah. Like, you know, like it's just, uh, yeah. it, 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 you know, and so, so many Richard- different... Yeah, Richard was working at, he said he was talking about how he was working in a mafia-owned nightclub. Yeah. And a singer told Richard that the club owners wouldn't pay pay her. So he decided to take matters into his own hands. I busted into the office with this motherfucker in my, all right, give me the money, motherfucker. (laughs) Doing my best black shit, you know. (laughs) You know, that shit usually scare Whitey to death. And these motherfuckers didn't do nothing. 
And I'm sure that those men are sitting in that room today laughing. Because <laughs> that's what this dude, he just started laughing. <laughs> this fucking kid. Ah. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, Tony, come here. Wait a minute, Rich, do the gun again. Hey, Tony, come here. Stick up. Ah. This fucking kid. Come here. Come here, you fucking kid. <laughs> so yeah that whole that, that that's one of the main things that i remember aside from the the freebasing story the mafia ones what i remember but that freebasing story like the pipe talking to him mm-hmm. the whole setting the scene with jim brown coming over and he mm-hmm. keeps saying what you gonna do what you gonna do mm-hmm. <laughs> he was trying it's like trying to get into his head and then the one of the main things like that's always stuck in my head well i'll tell you one thing man when that fire hits your ass that will sober your ass up quickly. I mean, I was standing there on fire and some said, why that's so pretty blue. You know what? That looks like fire! I'm talking about fire is inspirational. <laughs> they should use it in the Olympics. Cause I did the 100 yard dash in four, three. And you know something I found out? When you're on fire and running down the street, people will get out of your way. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. That's, <laughs> that, 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 one, that one line, that's a pretty blue, has just always stuck in my head. And this is one, Jeremy, where I, I watched this when I was like eight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Would you say that an eight-year-old should have been watching? No, but like... Yeah. Yeah, I hate to say it in a way like but depend, it, it like, was good for me to do it. Yeah, like it 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 was real, like it yeah. was raw, man. Like, um, I mean, the the to be able to do that, like when he's like, I heard what people were saying about me. He likes the match. Yep. What's this, Richard Pryor running, you know, across the street? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's just. I mean, because if you know what happened with Richard, there wasn't. I mean, I never being burned on fire is like a light thing, right? But the degree to the burns he had, I mean, it was like he was on death's door and all over his body. And to me, it's like if I just survive that, like, whoa, I don't want to think about that again. But to get up there and then also to add on, like, everyone was talking about it. It was a big story when yeah. it happened. So, like, the embarrassment. But then to get on stage and to, like, do that, it's just gutsy. My question for you, though, for people – who know prior or if you don't know them, there's really two specials that stand out like a lot of comedy albums and everything, but two specials it's live on a sunset strip that came out in like 82, but before mm-hmm. was Richard Pryor live in concert. So 79. So, yeah. Think, like 79. Yeah. And a lot mm-hmm. of people call both of them like the standard and special. So I wonder for you, how were you able to choose between the two? I think how he handled the freebasing incident and the whole story, to me, he just puts it over the edge. How he's going to take a uh, an embarrassing, traumatic experience and turn it into something so Richard Pryor and in his voice. And he took ownership of that incident by doing that. And I, so I think that, because the, the one in 79 was, was just as good for the most part as Live on the Sunset Strip. But, I, but just him... Being open and making the freebasing thing funny 
too. Because that's the thing. Like, I can say, well, I'm glad he was vulnerable and I'm glad, you know, but was it funny too? And this, it was hilarious. So he just made, he just took ownership of that experience. So to me, the freebasing thing is what puts it to me over the edge. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's just, I mean, still years later, um, I think people are trying to come. You got like Chappelle, I think is probably the one who's making a case to be closest to getting to him. But 40 years later, really, because that was like really, I think, like his last great hurrah as far as stand up. I think he yeah. had a few more specials yeah. and then he wind up getting mm-hmm. sicker. He got sicker, had some movies. He did still did some stuff with Gene Wilder. I, I, I still stand by Brewster's Millions. I still love that movie. It's like you stand alone on that one, man. What? That's not me. I grew I grew up watching that, so maybe it was just something like from my childhood. Yeah, uh, that 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 I liked. I stand by moving as well. By the way, that's good. I like that. I <laughs> okay. like moving. I yeah. do like moving. I I gave him the wrong finger. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but this you're right. As far as stand up goes, this probably was like his last like great. Moment. And I think all these years later. To me, it's just, it's hard. I can understand some arguments or debates, but like he's number one. And I think still to this day, when you're seeing different pe- comedians themselves talk, when you see others, like he's the number one stand up of all time. And it's just like, you just see the effect, like the aftermath of him doing what he did and the guts it took to be that brave on stage. Like, I think you can look at stand up before him and see that it was an art form. But he really, to me, made it the art form that it is today. Like, he took yeah. it to that next level. Yeah. I think if you took a poll of people in comedy, Richard Pryor would, would come out number one. Yeah. Uh, greatest stand-up of all time. So, so yeah. So, that's our third essential stand-up uh, specials. We have John Mulaney, Kid Gorgeous, Dave Chappelle, Killing Him Softly, and Richard Pryor, Live on the Sunset Strip. Jeremy, back to you. This is hard because so many, but I, I got to stay true to who I am and stay true to just how I look at it. And I got to go back and I might, it might sound like, it, I think it's different, but it might sound similar where I love different styles of stand up, but what's always going to get me is, like you said, that vulnerability. But those who are going to make me laugh and really make me think, and those who are going to walk the line. And like A for the bravery and B, I may not even agree with you, but if you can make me laugh and I'll be like, oh, he's so wrong or she's so wrong, but you're making, I get what you're saying. Like you're making me laugh, like whatever. And there's a, not a long list, but there's a few who were great at doing that. But I think um, something that put someone into the edge for their career that showed me it was my first experience seeing the true power of a stand-up special in my lifetime. And that's 1996, Chris Rock, Bring the Pain. You know what's so sad, man? You know what's wild? Martin Luther King stood for nonviolence. Now what's Martin Luther King? A street. And I don't give a fuck where you in America. If you're on Martin Luther King Boulevard, there's some violence going down. It ain't the safest place to be. You can't call nobody and tell them you lost on MLK. I'm lost. I'm on Martin Luther King. Run! 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 The media's there! I remember when 
because I had seen Chris. I knew him from SNL. And I'm like, and he wasn't that funny. I knew him in New Jack City. I didn't really like Chris Rock. Like, I didn't dislike him, but he was. Yeah. I'm like, I don't really get it. Like, what's so good? He kind of annoyed me. He must me not a have seen bit. CB4 around that time. Huh? CB4 must have come at you later in life. Yeah, it came at, that did come at me a little bit later. Okay, because that's when we say we stand by stuff. CB4, I stand by. Yeah, I did. I'll tell you. Yeah, I did see that after Bring the Pain. But point taken, though, I agree with you. Like he was yeah. at that point in his career where it was where like he middle, still had a lot to prove. And where's he going to go? Like, well, yeah. What's he going to do with exactly. like you know? So it was when that got hyped up. Like to me, the hype was like a little bit. It wasn't great when that dropped. I think it was like June. Like cause like for me, like summertime coming. So that's how I was able to like sneak and watch with my brother. When that dropped, and then like a Saturday, I feel, or a Friday or Saturday, and then that Monday where everybody was talking about it, where you could go on CNN, everyone, he had the whole country talking about that special and the controversial jokes and all this thing. It went from, oh, this is my niche passion to this is the power of what stand-up comedy can do. And just the jokes that he did from the whole OJ and and Nicole with the with the car and all that, and not that I agree with it, but I understand but it. I like understand. he does, yeah, you know. And it's like, ooh man, and like that's like that's risky and that's dicey and just you know we know the infamous you know niggas versus black people and what happened with that and that whole bit and even it's like I don't agree with it but I hear you and you know you laugh at it like okay and um and unfortunately like what happened with that bit and what happened with Chappelle's show some of the sketches in general was that people who shouldn't have been saying that word it shouldn't have been kind of repeating these bits felt that they get got the license to do it right too that's not Chris Rock's fault that's not Chappelle's fault but that's like society's fault that's society's fault yeah. So, but but uh, yeah, I do. Of course, I remember that bit. But yeah, like, and it it did speak to you. Oh, the bit sp- spoke because it led to conversation. It led to conversation. Okay. It led to like conver- like what that what does that mean? Why is he saying that? It was funny, but it was like okay. And then just even you know, um, I remember my brother said this to me when he was talking about like you ever seen like an old black man when they talk about white people and they start saying he starts saying all these like you know prejudice bigoted mm-hmm. term but then they see a white person and he's like grandpa does that sometimes and i go oh. <laughs> yeah grandpa does do that sometimes <laughs> like yeah. that's true like if yeah, my grandpa that's was hilarious. born in 1919 you know so he's seen a lot so it was like oh yeah i'm like he does act like that sometimes yeah yeah <laughs> and you know just his bits with that the bravery it took because not only are you showing a mirror on society you're showing a mirror inside your own culture and i remember years later uh, Nelson George, because that's where what happened with him. He started, you know, Chris started reevaluating him as a stand-up performer, and also reevaluating who he's hanging out with, and wanted to hang out with smarter people, and one, you know, wanted to learn. So he started hanging out with fame writer director Nelson George, mm-hmm. and Nelson George tells the story like after that special aired, it got big. This had to be a few months before he was killed, but they bumped into Tupac, and Tupac was mad at Chris Rock over that bit. And they're almost like a fight. It was like Chris Rock, Nelson George, and some other like, you know, person of their entourage. And Tupac had two people. And Tupac's like, "What do you mean by that?" And it got like really Dang. heated. And I'm like, but it led to that kind yeah. of conversation, you know? Like, and I think that's what stand up comedy can do is 
yes, the basis is to make you laugh, but great stand-up comedy, like you said, it makes you think, it makes you go, you see, that's what I'm talking about, or, all right, I see where you're coming from, and it it opens up a world of culture to you. I know we kind of said that with our 90s hip-hop episode, where it was like, oh, you didn't know about the West Coast, you didn't know about the East Coast or the South until you listen to like some of these tracks. Stand-up can do that. It can open you up to new worlds that you are so foreign to you or some thoughts that are so foreign to you and then you hear someone break it down like that you're like oh wow and i think this just turned chris rock's career around Mm -hmm. where he's one of the great comedians of this generation one of the great like people want to hear what they have to what he has to say when something's going down it started from bring the pain in 96 i think they should legalize crack legalize you know why i want them to legalize crack just so my friends mothers can have something to brag about you know, Ronald got his own crack house now. <laughs> Child, he got his own crack house. And I drive by every day, I go, drive by every crack house right there. <laughs> they got jumbo. Legalize it, man. All drugs should be legal. All drugs should be legal. Why? Because people want to get high. That's right. People think about getting high right now. People are like, damn, how much longer in the show? <laughs> People love to get high, man. You could get rid of all the illegal drugs in the world. Won't mean shit. People want to get high. You get rid of all the crack, all the herb, all the blow. You know what happened? People will just think of new ways of getting high. That's right. Guys will go in their basement and become scientists. Like, yo, check this out, check this out. You know, if you get a baby's bottle, right? Fill it up with a little gasoline and a dead lima bean and suck it, you'll be fucked up. Yeah, this is a classic. He followed it up with another classic. So, like, Bring the Pain and Bigger and Blacker to me is just like an incredible run of two of the greatest stand up specials of all time. Yeah. You could have picked either one of them. Right. And, and, and I would have been happy. And what, what I find with around this time in Chris's career and leading up to Bring the Pain is what was his, his uh, process as far as refining his material and everything. So, leading up to, uh, to Bring the Pain, he started mastering how he prepped for a special. Like he worked out the material in front of hundreds of audiences, took note of like the wording, his inflection, what they responded to. And he was one of the first to who, and Jesse David Fox says it in comedy book, Chris Rock wasn't afraid to bomb. He actually relished it. So he would sometimes go into like the comedy cellar, someplace like that and just deliver his material without performing it. Just so he knew that the material, the writing was solid. Right. Because he could say he knew that Chris Rock could say anything and probably elicit laughs. Right? Mm -hmm. Just because he's a funny guy. He says things in a funny way. But Chris would actually actively bomb just to chest out the actual writing and material. Because he was so dedicated to, to actually wording it correctly and making that piece of it sound right. And by so by the time it got to... What they what they recorded for Bring the Pain, this was so refined, so tested, so funny. It had everything. And Chris I mean, Rock, a late '90s from like about '96, I would say to like 2003 or four, just somebody at the peak of their powers. I, I don't think that was maybe the one of the greatest peaks in comedy history for anybody. I, great point. That's a great point. And um. I agree. He he kind of, which is huge. He looked, he ate some humble pie and had to redefine his career. And he went about it saying, I have to do it a certain way. I have to get better. 
when you're already on TV, already you know had some specials, people knew you. A lot of people don't have that humility to say to do that. I also kind of connect it with looking at the if you watch the opening of Bring the Pain, you're seeing all these great comics and their comedy albums, and that's like one of the closest things to calling your own shot. Which is like, that's a lot of pressure. You're showing all these great stand-ups from Red Fox to Cosby mm-hmm. to Pryor to Eddie Murphy. Just different people. Dick Gregory. And it's like, wow, you're kind of calling yourself in that group. And not only, he delivered. And that's hard to do. So I think I give him props for that. Because you don't know when you're watching the beginning that you want to see. To me, you can't put out the top ten. I think it's a top five comedy special of all time. Yeah. And he called his own shot. Like that's beforehand. He knew he, that's how he wanted it to open and homage to the great comics. And he's saying, I'm here. That's huge. Yeah, it's huge. And he might be on the Mount Rushmore of, of mm-hmm. standups. Absolutely. <laughs> to this day. You can't, you can't say he's not in the top 10. Yeah. I think you can make oh, an argument 100%. for top five. Yeah. But if you leave him out of your top 10, I think you're crazy. Something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a great choice. Chris rocks, bring the pain. From 1996, I love it, Jeremy. Absolutely, man. So we got four down, one to go. I'm I'm excited to hear yours. All right, one to go. And there's been a in some comedy circles, not all, but over the years, and this is getting better. But there's just been this misconception and terrible thing of saying that women aren't funny, mm-hmm. and that's just so many talented women prove that wrong time and time again. I never bought into that. And I want to highlight who I think even currently, but over the last decade plus, probably my favorite, probably the best female stand-up comic around. And I want to go to 2020. So it's a relatively, I think this came out around COVID. She probably, I think she taped it before COVID. I'm sure she taped it before COVID, but so it was around that time. And it's, uh, it's Weakness is the Brand by uh, Maria Bamford. I love the internet because it is a place of learning uh, and and healing in that uh, I'm a dinosaur. I'm slipping into the tar of irrelevant redundancy. And uh, so I'm forever horrified by what new thing I may say that will alienate people I care about. Uh, So... I, a year and a half ago, I did write an essay and uh, was hired to write an essay on a topic that I have no personal experience in, satirical, what? <laughs> and uh, wrote it, put it out there. Uh, some very uh, nice people said to me, hey, Maria, we're real disappointed because it's transphobic, uh, many of the things you said. And uh, oh my God, wow. Apologies uh, all around. Uh, I will read some books on gender identity and sexuality. Yay, team. Uh, And then uh, the publishing company, because they still thought it was funny, they didn't want to take it down. And then I got the electric experience of getting to teach someone a lesson I just learned. So I don't know if you're familiar with Maria Bamford, I'm familiar with her, not the but special. To not be the honest. special, yeah. So, and that's okay because I think a lot of people they they know the name, but haven't really delved into to to Maria's work. But she and this, I pick weakness is the brand because Maria doesn't always do conventional stand up specials. She's done stand up specials for her parents, 
mm-hmm. like just with her parents in the living room. Yeah, she's I done a stand-up special in the mirror. You know, over Zoom, she would do specials to where like she just kept the Zoom on, and like afterwards she went to sleep and she still had the camera on. Like so, she's but weaknesses the brand is I chose it because it's accessible in presentation and her material it showcases everything I and a lot of people love about her. She basically takes you through like the carnival that's in her mind as far as like dealing with bipolar, dealing with mental illness, to dealing with these uh, societal awkward situations that a lot of people deal with. Uh, she uses quick asides during her stories. She has fun pacing. Uh, so the way she deals with all of this um, essentially mental illness and bipolar Talk about vulnerability and relatability. Maria Bamford just showcases that tenfold, I think. The, just some of the bits and in, in, in weaknesses, the brand. She she makes fun of herself for doing a, a useless political gesture. So she says, she's talking about how she filed a restraining order against Donald Trump. I feel like I'm in a, an abusive relationship with our government. I thought, why not file a restraining order against the President of the United States? I did it! I printed out all the evidence, went down to the courthouse, saw a judge within a half hour. He denied me. Ultimately, a useless gesture that didn't further the conversation in any way and wasted the time of caring professionals. that if you're going to do anything political to live tweet it because it got me in contact with so many people I didn't think I had anything in common with turns out I have a few opinions uh, in common with the far right you're a fucking idiot I know I went to a third tier state school she talks about role playing with her husband, and then they they get into serious topics while role playing about like gentrification. And she has this funny line, like she plays a white girl, and she's like, "Finally, a place I can afford, and I can finally use my high school Spanish." And so it's like she and yeah, she and her husband are like doing doing this. Uh, she she incorporates her husband at the end of the at the end of the stand stand up set. They do a fun song. Her husband Scott. They do a fun song because they they were doing therapy, and therapist was telling them about like what there's what's called the saturation point where people are fighting and there's too many emotions and your blood pressure gets too high and you must stop so she and her husband scott did a fun song at the end of the special but just how she weaves like i said her own insecurity her own mental health and she performs and i'm not saying this lightly because i i think she's like richard Pryor in that way of how she performs her stand-up because you know how Richard used to do voices of mm-hmm. like, I'm talking about my dad, and now I'm going to do a voice of my dad. I'm doing the... That's how Maria performs her stand-up. She talks about her mom. She switches voices. So she's performing the hell out of this stand-up. A lot, honestly, like how Richard Pryor performed the hell out of his stand-up. So for just relatability, and she's funny, and she's clever. I think she's the probably the top, one of the top comedians out right now, like... Uh, it's um I, if if and I, I hesitate to say I was about to say Jeremy that she's not for everyone, but I think most standups aren't for everyone. So I don't right. even know why I feel compelled to qualify it. No, with you, that. And you you shouldn't because yeah. I think 
the stand-ups who are quote-unquote for everyone, I'm not the biggest fan of, quite honestly. Yeah. Like, like Dane Cook used to be, and I, he was okay. But yeah. I, yeah, but like that's an example of someone who's like quote-unquote for everyone. But uh, Jerry Seinfeld Jerry was Seinfeld. like that for me. Yeah. And I, I don't rank him high as a lot of people, like not as high because he is – I'm not. It's it feels too much like a factory. Like it's routine and er, er, it's not the performance. It's not the vulnerability. It takes away from the art form, in my opinion. So yeah. no, I I think Maria Bamford is brilliant. I'm going to be honest. I I like her work. I don't know this special, mm-hmm. so I want to kind of want to do what we did for the Eddie Murphy one, where okay, I do want to watch this special. And the only reason why I say that is because I'm glad you brought up the point of. Once again, like we said about um, Chris Rock, like that society's mishap about women aren't funny. Like I don't understand why that even still exists or why it ever existed. But like whatever, that's a society problem. I just think there are so many great women comedians and specials, and Maria Bamford's awesome. I've seen other specials. I haven't seen this one to be fair. Okay. So I just want to like be able to watch it and be like. Is this the one I would pick mm-hmm. for her or for a female comedy, female comedian special, or is there something else? So okay. I kind of want to just take that time and watch it and then come back with it. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And I would say about this one and just like the nature of her material, it's, it's a lot of nervous energy which you got to kind of be ready for when you watch Maria Bamford. But, you know, it's nervous energy that's mostly by design. Like she can pay, she conveys like neurotic tendencies, neurotic nature, but that's by design. Like she's not nervous on stage. She's doing that to convey something that's in there. She's in total command of her comedy and her performance. Over the years, looking at like articles and, you know, you're a big fan, like from Jesse David Fox, different books or articles that talk about comedy. In the recent, the past couple of years, they've mentioned this special. And how unique and great it is. So I've heard great, I've not heard, well, hey, heard and seen great reviews, great things. I can be real. Hey, shame on me that I I haven't watched it yet. And I've watched her other stuff, and I like her. I just hadn't watched it yet. It's one that, like, oh, I'm going to get to it, and then I just haven't gotten to it. So I just want to watch it to to be, you know authentically the best I can give for you and for the listeners. All right. Sounds good. Uh, I should, you mentioned Jesse David Fox. He was on Mark Maron's podcast Mm -hmm. and they cited Maria Bamford. Jesse David Fox said he thinks Maria Bamford's the second greatest standup of all time. And he's, he knows comedy. He had Richard Pryor number one and he said Maria Bamford was his number two. Yeah. High praise. That's it's high praise. He's definitely, this is what he does and I respect him and I like Jesse David. I love the book. And love his podcast. Um, I wouldn't put her second, but I think she's a she's be, she's definitely a Hall of Famer, and she's rising up like an all time all timer. Yeah, I picked this one because, like I said, it's more accessible. It's still real. It's really funny, but just I think it's it's accessible for for more people. It's, it's structured like a more standard uh, stand up set. So. Uh, yeah. So what? So do you want to? Uh, are is it a possible veto, or do you just want to watch it and then come back and share your thoughts? I think I want to watch it. I I mean, I guess if, you know I shouldn't just say it's not. It couldn't be vetoed. Like that wouldn't be fair. Like, 
but I don't think I'd veto it because I mean Maria Bamford is a great comic, mm-hmm. like so I don't think so. But I, yeah, I'd rather be authentic because then I could just talk about her style. But I I don't know any bits from this special to be like yeah like with you. I just know I know her style. I know other specials and things I like about her, but I I don't know anything about this this particular special. All right, cool. Well, uh, it'll be a week's time. <laughs> In, in our world, and then we're going to get Deremy's uh, reaction to, to this Maria Bamford special. All right, it's been a week, and we are back, and Deremy has watched the Maria Bamford special. Weakness is the brand. Deremy, the floor is yours. Thomas, um, I have to be real with you. This was one of the best specials I've ever seen. Oh, my gosh. Honestly, um, okay. and the thing is, I I know Maria Bamford. I I a fan of hers. I like her. This was to me, and maybe someone might argue it, but this was like her best fastball. Like, this is her like pitching like a no hitter. Like she just yeah. hit everything, and like the timing was just on point. And like the way she was working the crowd. I mean, those jokes about like from like the the Trump or like the you know, like the far right, even like the bit about like the. Um, going to like her friend's funeral for suicide like the way she just had it just like just setting the crowd up and then just bringing it in and just that tone like it, it was just unbelievable man and like wow. it really showed her to me her versatility but also just the way um how unique she is and i you know we talk about that like before like just those comedians who are one of a kind and like you can't it's really hard to copy a Maria Bant. Like you can't like she's her own yeah. entity. And I what just call like, like a one of one. Yeah, she's a unicorn. Yeah, yeah. She is that makes me happy. Were you surprised by how much you enjoyed it? I was. Well, you know what I will say? It was from the ep well, us doing this and you how high you put her all time. And I was just like, Whoa, Thomas has her so high and i'm like i don't know but i was like i don't know like that yeah. high well jesse david fox has her number two i wouldn't put her that high on my personal list but she's definitely like very high like top 10 on my personal list yeah so for sure so i do have her very high yeah right yeah. right that's right you, that's my fault you did say jesse david fox had her like but that, my that... but she's not far behind that on my own okay list too so yeah okay you're, you're right about that <laughs> This has me having, you know, we were talking just before we did this about like going over certain lists of like all time, whatever. Watching this the past couple nights has me having to rethink my all time greatest stand up list and shuffle around and and really give us some thought because she was on point. Like she was someone I didn't think she was in before this. She was in that group of like. If a friend of mine was like, hey, I want to see this, I'm like, well, I'll go with you. Or, all right, I'll, all right, if you have a ticket, I'll, I'll tag along. She has become, if she comes back in my area, I'm going to pay, like, I'm stepping up and, like, oh, I got to go see her. Yeah, wow. That, that makes me really happy. And did you see why I said, like, you know, she has her own personal style? It's very, there's a lot of nervous energy by design, but you mm-hmm. said you have to be prepared for that. You have to just let it whisk you away with that nervous energy because it's part of the performance. It's not her own real nervous energy on stage, if that makes sense to yeah, me. Yeah. It's the performance that she's giving to convey nervous energy that she's talking about. Well, 
and I think for me, that's what, and I'm glad you said that. I really am because when I watched her before, it was like, I felt like, yeah, I would have to prepare. Like if I was showing my mom this or just, you know, <laughs> the average like comedy yeah. fan who's not like the comedy nerds like us, I would maybe give like a, like a warning, like, hey, it might be this seemed like she mastered it where I don't think I would need a warning for this special. Okay. Like you could feel like you know it's a performance. You know it's real. Like she you could she has history with mental health, but it she's working at the crowd like and that was the difference where sometimes I'm like, I, I didn't feel it in the previous specials. I, I thought it was funny, but it was like, I don't know, if she's for you. This I'm like, I think it's for a lot more people. Like I know comedy's not for everybody, but this is more broad. And that's that's one of the reasons why I chose this one in particular is because of the accessibility mm-hmm. of this that I thought. Like I'd said, her some of her other specials were her like doing stand up in the, the living room for her parents or doing it on Zoom or doing in these different environments. But this it was the maybe the most accessible environment uh, while still having the quality. So that's a big reason why I picked this Maria Bamford special. Jeremy, I loved how she started off the her set to with a lot of confidence thank you so much thank you so much for coming out uh i understand i know we're here in los angeles uh also at home i know we're all artists we all have a gift if at any point during my program you feel disgusted you think to yourself why isn't comedy better than i remembered Why isn't that particular premise less ill-conceived? Why? Why isn't this experience exactly what I had wanted? Please, let that rage trampoline you into working on your own stuff. You know, this is going to be my set. If you don't like it, then I challenge you to write your own material yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Like, I love how she started her, her set by, by kind of like being a little antagonistic with the mm-hmm. audience, but in a funny, jokey sort of way. In a nice way, like yeah. in a funny way. And like, it, it's like warm. So like, she's making a point to you in the audience, but like, you're not even realizing that she's doing it. Like, with her style and everything. Like, mm-hmm. I think I really saw the growth that I I'll be real like other people even beforehand like people who are in like the comedy world talking about I didn't see but this one kind of I was like yeah I get it she's really doing it like and has that performance piece down right well this makes me really happy Maria Bamford uh weakness is the brand from 2020 everybody should go out and watch that support an amazing comedian uh, Deremy, any final words on, on this before we go back to our regularly scheduled programming, as it were? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this was always just so fun to do. I love the art form, like we said earlier, of stand-up. And the, it's, and I think that's why I'm glad we're ending with Maria Bamford, because there is that. It, it's There's joke writing, which is important, and there's like phrasing and how you structure a joke and all that. But there's a performance piece to it. And to me, from like Chris Rock, Bring the Pain, and anyone doesn't know, him talking about he had to work on his performance to like Maria Bamford seeing like, wow, she's really gotten there with her, how she performs it. Like it's a performance and it's one of the great art forms ever. And I'm just glad. And we're not going to be dumb doing stand up. We'll find other topics too, but I just love it, man. Yeah, yeah, me too. Well said. So that makes me really happy. Deremy loved Maria Bamford's special. 
Now we're going to go back to the rest of our stand-up comedy episode. All right, so a quick recap of our five essential stand-up comedy specials that we wanted to talk about on this episode. John Mulaney, Kid Gorgeous from 2018. Dave Chappelle, Killing Him Softly from 2000. Richard Pryor, Live on the Sunset Strip, that was from 1982. 1996, Chris Rock, Bring the Pain. And from 2020, Maria Bamford, Weakness is the Brand. Jeremy, did you strongly consider anything else that you want to briefly mention? Yeah, I strongly considered uh, Patrice O'Neill, the late, great Patrice O'Neill, uh, 2011, Elephant in the Room. I think just um, he's one of the more brilliant comedians of all time. And what the, it's great what he did, but the sadness is he dies later that year. Yeah. And it shows like what Patrice's potential, I think, would have been if he would have kept living. I think Patrice was a brilliant comic. Didn't always hit his potential for a lot of different reasons. If you know Patrice's story, I feel like that special showed him kind of growing up and still brilliant like he was before, but hitting that potential. And it's like a great, it's great humor, but it's also like a great what if. Like if Patrice would have been living, like I think he would have just blown up and been so big and so huge. So Elephant in the Room is a special one, and I that was one I was considering. Yeah, Patrice, he he towed the line in a, in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. uh, for, but for the most part, I always I think he still had had a good heart. Yeah, I think he still meant well, but he would but he was just the type by nature to kind of like try to see where that line was. Right, say right. something. Maybe he said stuff that maybe he didn't totally believe, but he was just trying to test that line i used to listen back when satellite radio was more of a thing and the obi and anthony had their own channel i used to listen to the black phillip show yes uh, with, with, with patrice o'neill that was his version of uh of dr phil where he would give out advice and probably probably he knew a lot of it was bad advice but uh but just he he was uh he was very funny <laughs> one of um what i tell people and it may not be for you because it, it's but one of the most beautiful things I've ever like listened to was after Patrice died and Opie and Anthony had so many comics came into the studio. They had like their own little wake mm-hmm. on live on air and they were emotional. They were telling jokes that by Patrice, they were telling some of his not great moments that where he kind of maybe hurt people's feelings. They kept it so raw and honest and you heard this is how comedians are. They're still telling jokes, still cracking on. You know, Patrice had just died, but they're also giving homage to him in their mourning together. It's one of the most beautiful things I ever heard. Yeah. It was that you can find it on YouTube, but Opie and Anthony's like tribute episode to Patrice. Just unbelievable. Yeah, they knew Patrice would love that. And, yeah. and, and he would, he definitely would have. Uh, well, one of the ones I, I strongly considered because it was such a huge part of like my my late teens, essentially, as far as stand up comedy. Uh, I rewatched the original Kings of Comedy. Yeah, that was an interesting one to me. It was like we we did a Spike Lee episode, and we didn't touch on Kings of Comedy or anything past like his basically basically feature films and stuff. But this had like Spike Lee's stamp. Mm-hmm. all over it, especially the beginning when Steve Harvey opened things up and they were showing the people in Charlotte like t- like t- doing uh taking pictures before the show and doing all of that the way uh, the way uh 
uh, Spike Lee with like interspersed crowd shots and yep. he had like a whole narrative with the crowd member Boogie mm-hmm. and all that when Steve Harvey was doing his crowd work there. So uh, original Kings of Comedy was an important one uh, to, to me and my buddy Scott. We would always kind of reference original Kings of Comedy. So that was one that I rewatched and I strongly considered. Do you have a, a relationship with the original Kings of Comedy? Yeah. Um, my parents went to, when they were touring, went to the show in Philly before the movie came out. So, and they were, I remember they had it, the tickets were on the fridge posted up. Like they were so excited to go. And those four comics were big in black America at the time. The yeah. White people did not really know the four of, of them, you know, Steve Harvey, DL, Cedric, Bernie Mac. that happened. And those guys became crossover. And then everyone started to know yeah. who these guys are. Who these are big names. Who now it's like everybody knows these four. This happened at a time in their careers. Black people knew him. Steve Harvey had his, his sitcom on UPN. He hosted the Apollo. DL hosted, you know, Comic View on BET. Mm-hmm. Bernie Mac was on some movies a little bit, and then he was in um, Def Comedy Jam. But they didn't cross over. This took him. To what we see now, Bernie Mac show and Steve Harvey's success and Cedric and DL, this thing took them over. And that's how powerful it was where it got everyone talking. All right, Jeremy, I'm going to put you on the spot. Mm-hmm. Rank them. Just from this just from this special, rank, oh, rank, the special. rank the comedians. Okay, I got you. Mm-hmm. Bernie Mac won. Okay. I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you Cedric 2, Steve Harvey 3, DL 4 for me. All right. How about you? I'm going to go Cedric 1. Just this is my personal taste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cedric one, mm-hmm. Steve Harvey two, mm-hmm. Bernie Mac three, and DL Hughley four. Uh, so we agree on that's funny. Yeah, on yeah. DL being last. DL like, being last. No offense to DL. He had some fun fun crowd work uh, in there, but he you could tell the other ones. And there's a reason he opened the show. Well, Steve Harvey kind of emceed the whole night, and then DL was the first comic. So I mean, there's probably a reason for that. No offense to DL, he did a good job, but. Bernie Mac was a force. Cedric was a force, and it was just hard to like live up to those two in that moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the minus DL, the three of them had, which is what makes that great all time bits. Yeah. The only reason why I put Steve Harvey is because he kind of emceed it. Yeah. So that's the only knockout. The Ray Carruth that, opener though was like ballsy. had me rolling, and it was ballsy, ballsy, and it was just so great. So that almost that alone kind of puts me. Ahead of Bernie, <laughs> as far as the rankings, but I want to put you. you on the spot there. No, I, I honestly, it's not. <laughs> We've had this conversation in my household, my family, so many times because we had the album. We would borrow the CD, like so. My mom thinks DL was one. Oh, interesting. Like she loved DL. Like my DL brother had loved some DL like too. Uh, church humor a little mm-hmm. bit, right? He kind of weaved some of that in. That was pretty good. So, oh yeah, uh, my my mom and brother both love. When white people getting fired, I'm fired. Yeah. I'll be right back, you sons of bitches. <laughs> like they love that line. They say it to this day. I still hear that. Yeah, so. I, I, I used to quote Cedric's uh, uh, when when he talked about how black people run away from the trouble. Absolutely. He's like, like get Lisa, get Lisa down. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. he's, the, he's like, there about three or four of you started running right now. Like that's what he. 
he was so relatable because <laughs> yeah. all, even at that point, I knew I had done that. Like something was happening. You see people running. You just I did that even before that and after. People are running your direction. You don't ask questions. You just take off running. You just take off. We'll find and out. Then we'll find out what it is we're, we all, were running about. Thomas, like. that happens so many. I can't count. <laughs> Sometimes it happened. I go, what happened? What? And then they say, I go, oh, that's not that bad. Or sometimes I'm like, whatever. But I just ran blocks, and I'm like, oh shoot, like. And then driving, and like, we're like, all right, the music's loud, yeah, but parallel yeah. parking. Turn that thing down. You got to focus like that. Yeah, classic. See, this is why Cedric was number one for me. And they used to settle things by break dancing. I used to turn on the per- uh, looking for the perfect beat and do an mm-hmm. imitation of of Cedric's dance. The whole beat beat. Yeah, so yeah, that that was classic. Uh, One quick last little thing. Okay. These guys are so funny. R.I.P. Bernie Mac. If you watch, they the three of them get up and speak at Bernie Mac's funeral. They're hilarious giving their eulogies together at Bernie Mac's funeral. That's how funny. Like Cedric telling the story of we got into comedy and people kept comparing to Bernie. He's I went into this. I entered this one contest, and the winner was going to get 3000 He's like, I had no money. So I was like, 3000 Mama, you ain't got to work no more. You can retire. I'm going to win $3,000. <laughs> like, that's that Bernie Mac's eulogy. Like, yeah. it's just, they were funny there. So, I mean, um, Kings of Comedy is great. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Kings of Comedy wasn't on, on this episode of our five essential mm-hmm. uh, stand-up specials. It was John Mulaney, Kid Gorgeous, Dave Chappelle, Killing Him Softly, Richard Pryor, Live on the Sunset Strip, Chris Rock, Breen the Pain, and Maria Bamford. Weakness is the brand. Deremy, I'm wondering, We and it got me thinking especially, because we were talking about Opie and Anthony and that stable of comedians. I find that it's harder for me to go back and listen to some of those comedians, and I think my sensibility and taste hasn't quite it's somewhere else than it used to be in a lot of ways. So like the edge Lord, I want to call them edge Lords. Jesse David Fox calls the current ones, bad little boys. Right. Right. I call, I used to call the, the ones back in the mid, early to mid two thousands, edge Lord comedy saying shocking things just because it's shocking to provoke a reaction. And back in the mid two thousands, I, I listened to Opie and Anthony and I found that stuff funny, but as the, t- you know, as the times go on, find that less and less funny and then i don't know like has has your taste in comedy or humor kind of evolved with the times like how would you say that your taste in comedy has kind of evolved since you started getting into comedy yeah i think it definitely has i think it it should for everybody like because we should continue to grow as we get older i think for me it becomes that and that's what makes comedy, that's, hey, it's a difficult thing. If you can pull it off, you can. If you can't, you weren't funny enough and you get the ridicule, that's the gamble you're taking. Right. So for certain comics of that time, a Patrice, I, I feel like he was really making these points to educate. It wasn't just to get shock and awe or even though it's the mid-2000s clickbait. Certain comics did it just to kind of like, they wanted to have the conversation and be topical and do it. I never loved Louis C.K. stand-up is because he would hmm. say the N-word yeah, just yeah. to say it. Good point. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't make me – I wasn't, like, mad that he even said it. I was mad that I'm like, you have no joke with this. Right. What you're doing is you're just trying to be like, I'm a comic, and I'm going to push it and say it. And it's like, but there's no joke. There's no even a point. And I don't have to always agree with the joke, but at least, oh, I see the point. You're just doing it. So I always then and even more now, I'm – critical where i'm like 
what are, what's the what are you trying to do with this? Yeah. Are you trying to make yeah. a point and get conversation or show a different point of view? Or are you just trying to be shock and awe? And I don't like shock and awe. That's interesting. I, I used to like shock and awe a little bit more. Like, you know, but but as as I think as I get older, I don't know. It's just like you're right. You ha- I think you have to have some sort of point with it. And I was ta- I was talking to a friend of mine and he was telling me how Joe Rogan opened up a comedy club in Austin mm-hmm. to uh it was like a free speech zone like you can yeah. say whatever you want and I kind of made the joke with my buddy I'm like so you're so Joe Rogan created a space that was safe for people mm. almost like <laughs> a uh safe space yeah. Joe Rogan created? that's <laughs> that's interesting that's interesting and so and then it got me kind of got me thinking and asking the question like so so if those comics feel like they're saying things to be provocative. That has to be the point. I don't know why else they would say those things. But when people are provoked, then they react like those people shouldn't be provoked by the provocative things that they're saying. So what's right. the point of saying these things? Then, then if you're going to act offended that people are reacting a certain way. Isn't that the point? Mm-hmm. Is to get them to react a certain way? Exactly. So I- if, if, you have a, if you just open a stand-up comedy club... Where people can say these provocative things or these offensive things, then aren't you just straight up being like racist for no reason or offensive for no reason or ableist for no reason? When you remove that element of the reaction that I assume that you're wanting to get, does that make sense? No, it does. And I agree with you. Um, The only thing that I will flip it, I'm not even like for all comedians, not just Joe Rogan staple, Mm -hmm. but... I think if someone we've talked about it a little bit throughout the episode, if they're working out a bit and they're trying to re, I think there is a difference if you drop in at a show and you're just trying to work it out. A lot of comics will even say that, and if someone records it and it's out of context, that I agree with. I don't like that. That's true. Let them work their bit out, especially if they tell you they're working it out, or you're just giving out of context a clip and it goes viral. I'm against that. I think comedians, as a guy who loves comedy, they should have that right to work out the bit. Now, if you're on a podcast, an interview, or if this is your special, it is what it is. Then, like, it's it's or you know, a talk show like that. That's your yeah. That's your refined work there. So yeah. then it's different. Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree with that. It's like they're making they're making their careers off of the fact that they're like they're they're he 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 saying things I shouldn't be saying this. But when people react a certain way, then they get up in arms. Like it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, like that's you're building your career off of that reaction. Like, shouldn't you be happy that people are reacting that way? And it's kind of like Jesse David Fox puts it perfectly in his book, comedy book. He calls them bad little boys, and mm-hmm. he puts it. I think he talks about that genre of of current comedy. Those Joe yeah. Rogan, Andrew Schultz, those kind of types of comics. Like, yeah. He, I think Jesse David Fox puts it absolutely perfectly. That was one of my favorite parts of the book. Is like he's kind of articulating what I've always kind of thought in my head about mm-hmm. these quote unquote bad little boy comedians. And I think uh, it's we hey we're doing a podcast, and you know the effect that podcasting has had on comedy has been huge, and a lot more people can get a piece of the pie. They get out there just, and a lot more people can have their niche audiences. Because, hey, you like their podcast, you want to go see them, and they, they can play to that. And I think that's the negative of podcasting in the stand-up world. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, you know, 
refine and try to say, hey, how good I can get to hit as many people as I can, I can just still stay stuck. And I have my audience who's going to mm-hmm. listen to my podcast. They're, they're going to pay. Go they're going to donate to my Patreon. Exactly. Yep. And I feel like it's it's good in some ways because it's people you wouldn't have heard. But then I think it's for those guys, those bad little boys, it's bad because – they're not trying to redefine the craft or their craft. They're just, hey, I'm sticking to what works. I know I have a group who will like it. Screw the other people. I'm good. Absolutely. Just a couple of comedy nerds here. Jeremy yeah, Thomas talking about comedy. This is great. <laughs> I don't know. I could do this all day, man. I know. Me too. I love it. Talking comedy theory and stand-up and just, it's wonderful. We'll do this again. We'll have another. Uh, we were talking about doing comedy movies at some point. So I'm sure we'll have more comedy uh, things in the comedy realm that we're going to be talking about. So that was, yeah, that was awesome. Uh, Deremy, why don't you tell us uh, what we got going on next week? Yeah. So next episode is something that's interesting. And I'll be honest, when I even when I threw it out to you, I didn't think about the impact of it. But now, like, I don't know, the past week or so, I've been thinking um, essential HBO shows. And it's weird. I didn't think that, you know, HBO Max becoming Max would affect me. (laughs) Not like it's dramatic, but like it's like it's sad because that's such a powerful brand. What HBO represented for a lot of people and the quality work. And it's like, why would you take that title away? So I think it's like all these great HBO shows, you you know, let's talk about them and. And I wanted to ask you to make sure, are we doing just shows or could docu-series or Ooh. like things like that count as well? Or is it just like a, a scripted drama or a scripted comedy? If you have a compelling case for like a docu-series or something, because some, some shows, quote unquote, only lasted one season. So it's oh, not that sure. much different than a docu-series. If you have a compelling case for a docuseries, I'd be open to hearing it. Okay. And I got that veto. You do have that veto. <laughs> you do got that veto. Okay, but I think this, this honestly, it's good. It opens it up. I, I take on the challenge. I take on the challenge then. Perfect. Like that, that, that opens it up even more, so that's awesome. Awesome. So next week, five essential HBO shows, we'll call it that. Docuseries mm-hmm. are included. Uh, perfect, man. Can't wait, man. Yes. So I'd like to thank all of you for listening and showing support for Jeremy Dove. I'm Thomas Senna. So long, everybody. Peace. and such.